Hi, this is Day for Night with Caridad Switch, a series that looks at the intersection between theater and poetry, in the edgelands, in the wilderness. Today I'd like to actually shift gears a little bit uh, from some of the recent episodes and actually read the opening from the opening chapter of a book that I wrote last year that was and that I wrote last year and was published last year by Rutledge in the UK as part of their fourth wall series. And the book is on Mitchell and Trask's musical Hedwig and the Angry Inch. I've been thinking about this show for a long time and when Rutledge and I had a rather quick conversation about what I wanted to write about for their fourth wall series uh, I pitched about five things uh, but this one was kind of beating up my heart uh, so when uh, they said yes uh, I felt like I spent um, 20 years thinking about the show and so it's also a little bit like 20 years of thinking and reflecting upon and living with a piece of art changes the way you write about it so um so yeah so it was a privilege to write the book and also i feel like the book is a little bit like a little novella <laughs> uh and even though it's a reflection on an existing piece of art. It's also, it's very much its own thing and, and actually very personal. Uh, so uh, I'm not here to pitch the book, but I will say that if you want to read it, <laughs> uh, please do. It's published by Routledge and it's on Amazon and the Routledge website and uh, many other, many other uh, online booksellers, independent ones and so forth. So, but I'm gonna start with that and then segue into uh, a piece that I think, interestingly, is a, is a companion to some of the thinking for today on notions of resistance and love and oh, many things, art and archiving and so forth. So here we go. This is uh, from the opening chapter, the introduction actually, to my book on Hedwig and the Angry Inch. I want to tell you a story about love. It begins on a wintry day in New York City in 1998, and it ends sometime in the winter of 2015. But it really doesn't end or begin when I say it does, because the kind of love I'm talking about started much earlier on 16 November, 1973. On that day, this child accidentally stumbled upon 1980 Floor Show as part of the TV series, The Midnight Special. That's really when the love began because that's when I first saw David Bowie in performance. Filmed at London's Marquee Club, the 1984 show was a bit of an oddity, to say the least, on American television. 
It was also the first time the Midnight Special devoted an entire episode to a single artist in a long-form performance. Ostensibly programmed to promote Bowie's Pinups album, the show featured a duet between Bowie and Marion Faithful, dressed as a nun, a Spanish flamenco glam group named Carmen, and Bowie's last performance as Ziggy Stardust. Huddled underneath a blanket in the living room of my parents' house, Bowie, Ziggy's startlingly odd, glamorous presence cast an undeniable spell on me, one as potent as the kind described in Screaming Jay Hawkins' famous song from 1956. I put a spell on you! Strange mixture of aloof charm, near camp theatricality, and intensely playful alienness projected by Bowie in aspect and voice, and oh, that hair and makeup could not mask that what he represented was the force of sex itself. It coursed through the power of his performance, lyrics, music, and the knowing swivel of his hips that paid delicious homage to Elvis Presley and other rock and rollers. The disorientating queerness of Bowie was unlike anything I had ever seen before. The working-class town where I lived in New Jersey was relatively drab and ordinary. Small houses sat alongside modest, multi-unit apartment buildings, along plain, treeless blocks that led down to a nondescript roadway and a mid-sized community park beyond. It would be safe to say that no one, and I mean no one, looked like Bowie in this town. He did indeed seem as if from another world far, far away. And boy, did I want to go there. Like many kids that live in surroundings that emanate a dusky, gray, dead-endness. Kids that say they live in shit towns and have a queer-leaning, artsy temperament. The specter of Bowie, even on television, and not truly at his best, if you look at the performance now on YouTube, felt like there was not only a different kind of world out there, but one that could accommodate all sorts of beingness. I remember asking my mom to stop by the record store the next day because I wanted to see something. Uh, What, she asked, a bit perplexed. Uh, just something a friend told me about a Catholic school? Hmm, she muttered, but drove me to the store anyway. Ah, record stores. Not only were they once a thing, a gathering place and a destination, but also something of a haven for browsing through a range of art and life's possibilities. R&B, soul, pop, rock, folk, classical, Broadway, jazz, and novelty records coexisted in comfortable cohabitation, side by side, with nothing more than plain cardboard dividers to separate them. Music was just music, and even the one-hit wonders could share the shelf with the greats. I told my mom to pick me up in an hour. I wasn't going to buy anything. I just wanted to browse. Ah, what is it with you and music? She asked as she walked away. Okay, 
in an hour. I smiled and waved at her, and as soon as I saw her turn past the record shop window, I bounded down the aisles in search of my enchantment. There he was. Or was it a she? Bowie's face beckoned me from the cover of Aladdin's Sane. Eyes closed, shaded in coral red, framed by a shock of spiky burnt red hair. A delicate red stripe lined with blue cut across the side of his rouge face. His lips were tinted in a pinkish hue, and his torso, or what the cover showed of it, was naked. That's not for the kids, the gentleman said from another aisle. I turned. You shouldn't be looking at that stuff. Go on. Go to the kids section. I hear the Jackson 5 got a new record out. Gentleman waited. He wasn't going to let me stare at Bowie's face. I'm just, go on. But although I did, I couldn't stop thinking about Bowie. I was hooked. And yes, it did start with his surface, or shall we say the surfaces he deployed so well and so artfully as a performer and maker of pop art. I came to his music a bit later when I started to understand something of what he was talking about through his use of cut-up lyrics and doing with his mix of R&B grooves, British folk, left coast jazz, industrial music, art song, and good old rock and roll. And you may wonder what Bowie has to do with a book about John Cameron Mitchell and Stephen Trask's musical Hedwig and the Angry Inch. Well, nearly everything because it's exactly that same strange, beautiful kind of spell that Bowie cast upon his audience at his glam rock height that Hedvig does with her glam rock story. Or to put it another way, when I saw Hedvig and the Angry Inch for the first time in 1998 in New York City, it brought back that same thrill I felt when I saw Bowie through the grainy lines of my television screen in New Jersey. You don't have to love glam rock to love Hedvig. Heck, you don't have to love Hedvig at all. Mitchell and Trask don't beg you to fall in love. In fact, they spend a good part of 90 minutes playing a tender and naughty high-wire game of push-pull with their audience of, look at me, look away. Just like that gentleman in the record store was asking of me that day in New Jersey when I was staring at the iconic cover of Aladdin's Sane. But one of the remarkable things about musical Hedwig and the Angry Inch is that it makes its audience somehow fall and fall right in, in a spell of enchantment that is by turns gritty and dirty as fuck and vulnerable as the wound that aches and screams to the core of Hedwig's scarred body. That's a section from the introduction to my book on Hedwig and the Angry Inch. And I'm going to close out today's episode actually with a very beautiful, I think it's a limited edition. Um, I feel very lucky to have it in my hands. Um, it's It's a book called Challenging Archives. And it is an encounter with 
the archives of the performance artist Franco B. Uh, it's uh, co-written, uh, but sort of in different sides. The first side of the book is written by Mary Patterson. And if you flip the book over, the second side of the book is written by Maddie Costa. Uh, it's kind of an ingenious idea to think about how two writers can look at one singular artist's archive, their work, in this case, Franco B, and ruminate and reflect upon these archives. So um, I'm actually going to read from Mary Patterson, who, if you don't know her work, I urge you to seek it out. She's an extraordinary writer uh, and a thinker. And yes, and just does amazing things. Uh, she co-founded the Department of Feminist Conversations, and, which is also, there's an offshoot of that called So. Uh, it's just chapters, uh, kind of a blog, chapters that live on, that around themes, I should say. So um, on silence, on time, on uh, reflections. And they, she gathers artists together. Uh, she and her colleagues, Maddie Costa and uh, De Diana Damon Martin, uh, gather artists together with so to ruminate and reflect upon big ideas, uh, usually I would say philosophical ideas about form and art. Uh, so, uh, but I, uh, this is from Challenging Archives, an encounter with Franco B. by Mary Patterson, her side of the book. I'm just going to read the, the front end here just to do the acknowledgements properly. The book was produced as part of Challenging Archives at the University, University of Bristol Theatre Collection, a welcome funded project to catalog and conserve the archive of the artist Franco B. Maddie Costa and Mary Patterson were writers in residence for the project from 2018 to 2020. Uh, so this uh, book uh, came to me in the mail. Uh, and I'm just gonna, I just, I'm smitten with this book. <laughs> it's very thin. It's a small, it's kind of this beautiful little feels like, you know, holding a treasure. So I'm just going to read basically from the front, the first page uh, from Drew Patterson. Open the box, turn the sheets. The air is fresh, like newly fallen snow. All archives are part of the choreography of time. They make room for the future through an embrace with the past. And this embrace is laden with hope and with failure. What else is the concept of posterity but an act of faith in our passage through time? And what else is our passage through time but an admission of our own mortality. I don't need to tell you about vulnerability. You know all about it with your soft skin and the wind-chipped lips and the sore spot behind your shoulder blades. 
I don't need to tell you about pain. You, with your tributaries of scar tissue and your amputated heart. I don't need to tell you about memory or the lack of it, the cloying oil of nostalgia for it, the scorched throat, emptiness of loss. Franco B, performance artist, sculptor, image maker, Italian, living in London, teaching in Italy, performing around the world, man, symbol, skin script. Have you seen his work? Have you seen all of it? What haven't you seen? What have you imagined? What have you only ever imagined? Where is the body of the archive? Where is it felt? Where does it sag? Where does it leave its mark? Who traces it with her finger, choosing between its pages hesitating beneath a word. Where do you hesitate when you're looking at another body? I mean, someone else's body. I mean, someone else's body of work, which does not exist in material, but in memory. Is there a difference between a body and a memory? How is it felt, this difference? Where is it held? this difference? Where do you hold your memories? How do you remember bodies you have never held? What is there to hold on to? That's from Mary Patterson. Her side of the book, Challenging Archives, an encounter with Frank Opie. Uh, I hope that you can seek it out. It's just a beautiful book produced again by the University of Bristol Theatre Collection as part of Challenging Archives. So that's it for today. It's like full, I think. <laughs> I think it's our longest episode. Oh my heavens. Um, that's what happens when you're talking about love. Um, yes, well... Listener support is appreciated, so if you feel so inclined, please do uh, click on the button that says support uh, in whatever platform you're listening to this on, and uh, more work will come, more writing, more reading, more. I might even put some very, very, very new work. I've been thinking about doing kind of like a scratch episode just absolutely raw material uh, so if you're interested in that sort of thing uh, it may be happening soon um, thanks for listening wherever you are out there as always this is about you and I here in the theater you there in the dark and I here wondering who you are <laughs>